Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. John chapter 8, and let's look at verse number 30 and reading down through verse uh, number 32. I'm slow getting to the text real quick, so let me catch up with you. And Jesus is speaking here, and it tells us, as Jesus was saying these things, and we're going to see what these things are here in a minute as we move through the message, what we need to know, the thing that we need to understand above all else is, as he was teaching these things, what he taught, many believed in him. And then it says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We'll start this morning, as, as, as we should on July 4th. I want to wish everybody a happy Independence Day. Happy 4th of July. And I know some of you, some of you, uh, some of you may be watching virtually if you're on vacation or whatever. Some of you plan later on today or tomorrow, if you're celebrating tomorrow, to consume a whole, whole bunch of grilled meats and play a lot of cornhole, just waiting for it to get dark so you can get ready to blow a bunch of stuff up and light a bunch of sparklers and do a lot of stuff there, okay? One little PSA from your pastor. One PSA, one just plead of, of just concern from your pastor. Be careful, Okay, with what you're doing, because I assume that since we largely missed out on the 4th of July celebrations last year with the pandemic, a lot of us are going to try to make up for lost time. So you bought extra Roman candles, you bought extra stadium balls, you bought extra sparklers, you bought extra explosives to really have an extra 4th of July this year. I really, really, really want to celebrate with my family, and I don't want to have to go to the ER burn unit tonight for any hospital visits. So please celebrate safely, okay? But why do we do that? Isn't it interesting and isn't it ironic to me, it's ironic to me that we celebrate America's birthday and America's freedom. What we do to celebrate it is we consume hamburgers that were invented in Germany by celebrating also we blow up fireworks that were created in China. Why do we do that? Because freedom, baby, right? We love our freedom in America, but isn't it ironic that that's what we do? We do it because we love our freedom. And that's what I want to focus on today. I want to focus on the subject of freedom. If I were to ask this question this morning, and we were to pass the mic, or I were to ask you to take out a piece of paper and write down your definition or your description of freedom, we would probably get every sort of different answer we could possibly think about today. Because freedom is a vast concept. It's a vast idea with a lot of different opinions as to what freedom really is and what it really means. I consider myself fortunate to live in a nation that offers freedom to me as a citizen. I'm fortunate. When you think about it, being born a U.S. citizen means we won some sort of geopolitical lottery by being born where we are. And that's really all it comes down to. We are fortunate to have been born in the country we have been born in. On this day, 245 years ago, the founders of our nation gathered in Philadelphia, and after a huge cookout consuming hamburgers and hot dogs, they went into a really, really hot room in Philadelphia, and they signed a document that became an act of high treason for all the people who signed it. They signed a declaration of independence that they sent overseas to King George that basically stated an argument that they should not be under the tyranny and the rule of England anymore. And they base it upon this one idea that all are created equal and endowed by the creator with basic human rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
But interestingly enough, that document that we see is a declaration of independence on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. On the other side of the, of the Atlantic Ocean, they did not receive it as a declaration of independence. They received it as a declaration of outright war and rebellion. You see, sometimes freedom is only best defined through the view of the person enjoying it. But other people's view of it, when they don't understand the same freedoms or they don't enjoy the same freedoms, it doesn't look like freedom at all. And since winning independence from England, there's been a constant debate in our country about whether ours is truly a nation that is free. Our history is marked by a lot of cultural and sociological revolutions, all of those usually based upon this idea, if we are truly free, shouldn't we consider the freedom of others. Abolitionists rightly and righteously questioned how a nation that proclaimed itself to provide equality given by their creator, how they could still condone and endorse and allow the enslavement of black people, capturing them and kidnapping them from Africa, bringing them over and enslaving them in chains to work, all while others advanced on the sweat and on their backs. During two different suffrage movements, women and people of color questioned how a nation that labeled itself a democracy, which is supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, could withhold liberty of its black and female citizens by denying them the right to cast a vote and actually be represented in that democracy. During the civil rights movement, the question was asked how a nation that said it would provide the opportunity for its citizens to, provide, to pursue happiness would deny black people the same rights to education, to employment, and even to access to simple basic things like public restrooms and water fountains and seats on a bus. Yes, ours is a nation that is free, but it has not always provided freedom for all. And each time these important questions were raised throughout our history, there were others who perceived these movements as an attack and a threat on their own freedoms. Why? Because when we base our freedoms upon my own personal interest, it becomes oppression to others who can't stand for their own. So we love our freedom in America, but even today, the majority of the conversation about freedom in our culture is generated about complaints about how little of it there actually is or fear of how much of it is actually being threatened or being taken away. When we hear the word freedom today in 2021, we have certain ideas about what it means. And the question is, what is freedom really? See, for most of us, freedom means the liberty to do what I want, when I want, and to do what I see is right. And our definition for everyone else's freedom is the same. It's the freedom for you to do what I want and for what I see is right for you to do. The pursuit of happiness means removing anything and everything that stands in the way of me feeling good about my life and my personal choices. But you see, that view of freedom will always lead to another's oppression and another's offense. And that's where we're living today in the culture that we're in. Because when everybody only looks out for themselves, everybody else gets trampled underfoot. Regardless of how much we've struggled and wrestled and we still fight about it, we still love our freedom in America though right? We're still going to light our fireworks. We're still going to do all those things. See, it's almost, freedom is almost a religion to us. 
It's this great idea that freedom is what I have to have and it's something I need to pursue. But I want to tell you this, freedom is not found in a document. Freedom is not found in a government. Freedom is not found in a system. Freedom is found in a person and his person's name is Jesus Christ. So what about the rest of the world? We love our freedom in America and we define our freedom and we're free to define that freedom that way if we want to within limits. But what about the rest of the world that doesn't know the freedoms like we do? There are some other countries that have freedoms like we do. There are other countries who have, you know, capitalist systems and freedoms to, of religion and freedoms of assembly and freedoms of the press and all of those things. But what about the rest of the world that doesn't have that? The majority of the world that doesn't live in those types of freedoms. What about those believers in the persecuted church that Jason Lale talked about last month? What about the Israelites who were in bondage in Egypt and in Babylon? What would they know about freedom? Would they know the same thing and think the same thing of freedom like we do? What about the Jews that Jesus was talking to here in our text? And even Jesus himself in the days of the Roman occupation when to even utter the word freedom was considered an act of treason. Can these people enjoy freedom? They may not be able to light fireworks on the 4th of July, but they can still enjoy freedom. And I believe this. I've become convicted, and I'm convicted of this because I'm convicted personally about this. I believe that those who may be under political oppression can fully enjoy the freedom in Christ more than those who are free politically because they know that there's no other place to turn than to Jesus Christ for true freedom. They enjoy freedom that is more powerful, more sweet, and definitely more genuine than the freedom any nation can celebrate. It's more, more genuine than the, the freedom that we're going to celebrate today and then go back to fighting with each other on Facebook and Twitter about tomorrow. You see, because freedom is not found in a nation. Freedom is found in Jesus. And that's the big point this, this, this morning, the big idea today. And I'm stuttering and stumbling because I've been out of the saddle for a little while. So give me a chance to get comfortable again and then we'll really get going. Because see, freedom is not an American-specific freedom. It's a real freedom. It's pure freedom. It's freedom for all people for all time. It's a freedom that you can't buy, you can't win, you can't beat somebody to, and it's something that you can't take away and no one can take away from you because what Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. It's the freedom that Jesus declared in our text. See, freedom's not something that can be won or gained. Freedom is something that is found. Freedom is something that is found. It's not vested in a country or a governmental system or an economic system. It can't be, it can be found wherever you are on this planet. Freedom is not a geographical thing. It is a spiritual thing. Whether nations rise or fall, freedom remains, but you have to know where to find it. So let's look this morning at where freedom is found. Number one, Real freedom is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I kind of like couldn't wait to get that out, so I kept saying it already in the introduction. So this is not going to sound like news to you because I already said it almost out the gate, right? Real freedom is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Look again at verse number 30 of our text. Jesus says, as he was saying these things, many believed on him or believed in him. So what is it that Jesus was saying that made many people believe in him. So we find the answer to some of that if you go back to verse number 12 in chapter 8 and look at this. It says, Jesus spoke to them again. 
you see that word again, it means he has been continuing the same message over and over and over and over again. You want to know why? Because the gospel of freedom is a drumbeat that doesn't change. It continues to beat from generation to generation to generation. And he says this, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he spoke to them again, and this is one of the, what we call the seven great I am statements of Jesus, where Jesus uses seven metaphorical things to describe his person and his ministry. And he says, I am the light of the world. He says, I'm not just some light, I am the light, meaning I am the only light, I am the source of light. If you have light in your life, it's come from me. I am the light of the world. If you don't walk with me, you're going to walk in utter darkness. Now, that sounds like an arrogant saying from somebody who can't back it up. But Jesus backs it up. He says, anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And when I read verses like this, when I read scripture, I like to try to personalize it to me. So when I read it, I like to kind of change it. So I replace that word anyone with my name, with Derek. So when I read this, it says, um, Derek, who walks with him, will never walk in darkness. So take a minute, look at verse number 12 again. Replace anyone with yourself and read that back to yourself. Because I want you to understand the hope and the promise and the power of this verse, of this claim and of this truth of Jesus Christ, that he is the light of the world. And if I walk with him, I will never walk in darkness. That's freedom, folks. I can walk in a lot of different ways and a lot of different isms and a lot of different ideologies, but if they deviate from Christ, I'm still in darkness. You see, the Pharisees, what they do immediately, they come in and try to take down what Jesus said. They come in with their own version of freedom, really. The Pharisees' version of freedom was the law. They found their freedom in a bunch of rules and regulations. Now, God gave us the law, There's, and we need the law of God. The Old Testament is still important. All right, it's still the word of God. It's still what God desires for us. We talked about that through the Ten Commandments series. But you see, what the Pharisees had done was they took what God said, and then they said, you know what, that sounds good, but we think that we can improve upon it so that we don't break the law over here. We're going to make ten other laws that become guardrails so that we don't even get close to the law of God. And then their freedom began found in the fact that they weren't going to make a law that they couldn't keep themselves, but it was really hard for everybody else. You see, because they had access to the scrolls that no one else did. See, we have access to the word today. They didn't have access to the written word sitting in their home and on their bookshelf like we do. So they had to depend upon the Pharisees and the scribes to read the word to them when they went to the temple. But you see, the Pharisees had it kind of memorized at all times, and they always knew it. And so it was easier for them to know what God wanted than it was for most other people. So in their own version of freedom... They try to spoil the party of what Jesus is saying with an old Jewish law that was used for legal proceedings back then. That if a person made a claim about themselves, they had to be backed up by another witness. And so they immediately say to Jesus, wait, Jesus, you're only saying about that about yourself, so it's null and void. It doesn't count because there's no other witness. And Jesus basically says, look, I've said it myself and my father says it about me as well. So there's your two witnesses. Jesus basically takes a moment to own them. He beats them at their own game. He's like, don't use the law on me because I'm the one who wrote the law. It reminds me of, if you remember the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Aslan is standing there with the white witch, and he snaps back at the witch because she says, you know what the deep magic says, and Aslan snaps back and says, don't quote the deep magic to me, witch. 
I was there when it was written. Makes chills go down my spine every single time. Because when we try to remind Jesus of who he's supposed to be, he's like, I already know who I am. I'm trying to help you know who you need to be. See, because what we just sang a minute ago is, I am who you say I am. Doesn't matter what I try to be or what everybody else tells me I need to be, I need to be concerned with being who Christ tells me I need to be. See, there are those today that just like the Pharisees back then who think that freedom is found in having the right laws and having the right way of life and the right culture and protecting those laws and way of life at all costs and doing that will ensure freedom for everybody else. But you see, Jesus is the light and the life of the world and until you come to him, you will always walk in darkness. You see, it doesn't matter what you think you know. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what flag flies over your country, how righteous your laws are or ever become, how much power you may have, how good and happy you feel about yourself. Until you know Jesus, you'll never have true freedom, ever. Until you know Jesus, even our best version and idea of freedom is counterfeit because it's all just shades of darkness until we know Christ. Real freedom is given and secured and sustained by Christ alone, not by our power and might, not by our strength, and not by our works. Because I can't earn my spiritual freedom. I can't inherit my spiritual freedom. And I can't fight for and win my spiritual freedom. All of those things were taken care of for me by Jesus at the cross. When I couldn't earn, my, when I couldn't earn forgiveness of my sin, Jesus sacrificed himself and paid for it. When I couldn't inherit my spiritual freedom, I didn't know anyone. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weak and are heavy laden. And when I couldn't fight for and win my spiritual freedom because the enemy was too strong for me, Jesus conquered death and the grave at the empty tomb. Somebody get excited about this and say amen, please. True freedom can only be granted by the author of freedom, and that is God Almighty. And it is inherited through placing our faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, who fought for our freedom and won it. So is your truest sense of freedom, let me ask a question this morning, is your truest sense of freedom founded in the person of Jesus Christ, or is it founded in something else? Because the temptation is all around us all the time. The world gives us a lot of shiny options out there that a lot of times are more attractive and more glistening than the cross of Christ. For you, it may be a green piece of paper about this big. Or it may be a flag with stars and stripes on it. Or it may be an elephant or it may be a donkey. Or it may be a superstar that you just hang on every word that they have to say or write. Freedom will only be found in Christ. And without Christ, everything else is a veiled counterfeit of freedom. John tells us that of all the offerings and versions of freedom that this world can offer and all that we can sidle up to to find, free, to find freedom, there's only one that matters the most. Look at John chapter 1. Go back at the very beginning of the book of John and see what he says. In John chapter 1, verse number 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, Jesus Christ, he gave them to write, the right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name. What that means is if I'm a child of God, which was in our song just a moment ago, I'm above all the other identifications that I can place upon myself. We talk a lot about identity in our culture today. Everybody's got to identify who they are. 
I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm this, I'm that. I don't, so much so now that we're like, I don't know if I feel like what people would call me, so I gotta be something else. We're all consumed and confused about our identity today when God says here, if you believe in me, I'll give you your identity, you're mine. You're my child. The prescription for true freedom is just to come to Jesus. It's simple. And it may sound closed-minded and it may sound stupid to a lot of people, but to someone who's living that, who's been set free by that, you're like, don't take it away. I won't trade it for anything. So real freedom is only found in the person of Christ. Real freedom, number two, is found in the person of Christ, but it's also found in the proclamation of the word of God. Freedom is found in the proclamation of the word of God. Jesus went on after they believed in him, and he said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my, what's that next word? If you continue in my word or in my law, you are really my disciples. Circle, if you would, continue in your scripture, in your Bible. Continue or persist. That word continue comes from the Greek word meno, which means stability and residence. It paints a word picture of somebody who is happy and satisfied and secure in their home. I don't know about you, but my home is my safe place. It's where I'm happiest. It's where I feel most comfortable. It's where I feel most like myself. And it's where I can just, you know, let the guard down, right? Hopefully home is that way for you. But what God is saying, what Jesus is saying here is, he says, find yourself at home in the word of God. He's not just saying, make sure that you get out a checklist and write down all the rules and regs from the word. He says, find yourself at home there. Make that your safe place. Make that what you desire in life more than anything else. The problem with a lot of people today, even Christians today, is that when we look at this, this book, we don't see a book of liberation and freedom. We see a book of regulation and restriction. Because what we're constantly doing, especially in our culture, is as we view the word through the lens of our culture today, we're saying, but my culture says I should do this to be happy, but the word says that I should do this to be happy, and they don't jive, and so we wrestle with that. So we've got to be careful to understand that the word of God will always be our safe home, will always be our safe place. It's the new relationship that is the believer that we have with the word of God and with the world that we live in. You see, because when we come to Christ, just as these, as these Jews had done at this very moment in verse number 30, Jesus begins to say, you are not the same anymore. We have a new home. All things are made new. We're made new. We have new home as citizens in heaven. God and the word of, his, of God is our new home away from home as we live and as we navigate in this present word. In other words, this becomes our declaration of independence. This becomes our constitution. More than anything else. As former captives who've been set free from the bondage of sin, we have a new code of conduct. We have a new lens through which we view the world, a new lease on life, a new boldness and confidence that this world cannot take away, and it all pales in comparison to the kingdom that we are now part of. I'm no longer just a citizen of the United States or of, God forbid, Canada. I'm just teasing. I don't hate Canadians. I'm just saying. I'm not a citizen of this. I'm a citizen of heaven today. And that citizenship trumps it all. He says, continue there. It also gives the idea of remaining and staying, meaning I'm consistently abiding in this. Reminds us of what Jesus said about being the vine and the branches. 
He said, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you in verse number three of chapter 15. He says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He says, remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. That means even your greatest works without me are rubbish and they won't abide. What we have to understand about this world that we live in, everything in this world is scheduled to expire. Even the good things. Except for this book and our souls. Everything else in this world is going to expire. Everything has an expiration date. So why do we get so wrapped up in all the things that have an expiration date and we forget the things that don't? Real freedom is found in the eternal things. Remain and stay in this. Jesus is saying here in, in, in chapter 15, he says, look, I know everything around us is messed up. Look, it was, it's messed up now. It was messed up then. It was messed up last year. It was messed up the year before because the world is messed up. And it's almost like Jesus says, I know this kingdom business doesn't look the way that you would expect. I know it looks like right now that we're losing. It looks like we're the minority. It looks like no one's listening to us. But trust me and remain in me and stick close to me because it's the only path to true freedom. You see, because if we're not relying on the word of God, we're never going to understand what true freedom is. I want to say this again. If I'm not relying on the word of God as my first and only true security, I'm never going to understand what real freedom really is. And I'm never going to live in security of that freedom. I'm always going to live wondering whether it's going to be taken away. And let me say this as well to those of you who are like rebels. If the word is getting in the way of your personal sense of what freedom is, then you don't have the right understanding of what freedom really is either. See, one thing that jumps out to me here in this passage is that immediately after these folks believed in him, and it wasn't everybody in the crowd because the Pharisees immediately start arguing with him. But there were those who heard his words and believed in him, it says in verse number 30. But immediately after that, what does Jesus begin doing? He begins discipling them, right? He says, look, if you want to survive as my follower, you're going to need my word. You're going to need my word. This is what I love about our father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I love about the whole Trinity. He's never going to leave us unequipped for the challenge that he's placed before us, which means I don't have to fear come what may. No matter what may come my way, I'm going to be fully equipped at the moment I need to be equipped by the father who will equip me and who promised he will. He says, if you remain and continue in my word, then you are my disciples. He jumps into the steps of discipleship. But the problem with most of us today, if not all of us, and I'm including myself in us today, is that we're more discipled by the pundits and the opinions of our day than we are by the timeless words of our Savior. Well, let that sink in for a minute. The problem with most of us today is that we're more discipled by the pundits and the opinions of the day than we are by our Savior. And when I say us, I'm not talking about the them, us outside the doors. I'm talking about the us, us in the church, the ones who are called to be the church, the ones who are called to walk in relationship and abiding relationship with our Savior. That's the us I'm talking about. 
But you see, too often, that relationship of abiding presence with God that we're supposed to have is characterized by squeezing in an hour to an hour and a half a week to go to a worship service or watch it on the computer and struggling each day to find a foggy interaction with God's word and and saying a, a quick prayer as I'm guzzling down coffee and breakfast and headed out the door to the office, all at the same time complaining, I just don't have time to be in the word while we can find hours on end to scroll through Facebook and Twitter and be more discipled by the opinions and the comments and the posts of what we see there than the truth of what we see in his word. You still love me, right? Okay, because it's getting ready to get worse. See, truth be told that the majority of our churches today are more discipled by Fox News and Newsmax or CNN and NBC than we are by the living and active word of our holy and righteous and eternal creator God. How is it that we find it difficult to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, yet we crave every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow and Al Sharpton and Sean Hannity? How is it that we grieve more the death of Rush Limbaugh than we would the death of Billy Graham? And I'm not saying we don't grieve the loss of people. I'm not saying that we don't love others. But what I'm saying is the truth is what sets us free. God help us when his church is more passionate about proclaiming QAnon conspiracies than we are about proclaiming the conspiracy of grace that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the greatest conspiracy ever is when the all forces of heaven and the Trinity conspired together to bring the Son, Jesus Christ, to earth to pay for our sins. Freedom is found in the person of Jesus Christ and in the proclamation of his word. Then why, why, why are we not proclaiming him and showing them him? And no, showing him my political persuasion is not the same as showing them him. No, showing them a superstar or someone who agrees with my religion is not the same as showing them him. I show them him by the way I live my life. I show them him by the love that I live with. I'm not saying to never look at what's going on in the world. What I'm saying is we need to look at what's going on in the world through the proper lens of the word of God. When you do, you find that every fear you may have, there's a fear not in the word that addresses it, that conquers it, and that buries it in the sea of grace. And that is the truest freedom of religion. For every fear that I may have, God says, don't fear. And if I will give that fear to him, he will take it. He's already conquered it under his blood and under his grace, and he will bury it as far as the east is from the west. And that's the freest form of religion. It's the freedom, and it's the same attitude that the apostle Paul had in boldness as a prisoner before King Agrippa, standing in shackles and chains, beaten with whips, blood still pouring from his body. He stood before the king, and he preached the gospel, and he said, I'm the free man in the room. This freedom can't be legislated away on a hill in Washington, D.C. or in a building in Moscow because it was secured, granted, bought, and paid for on a hill in Jerusalem. You're like, dude, did you drink your coffee? I only had this much coffee today. This is all spirit. Y'all thought you wanted me to go away for a while. See, freedom is found in the person of Christ. 
Freedom is found in the proclamation of his work of his word and in the presence of his word in my life. And freedom, lastly, is found in the possession of the truth. Freedom is found when I possess the truth. There's a reason that many nations that suppress people's freedom also, also suppress the information coming to them. Because Jesus said, the truth will make you free. Last Sunday, Ryan pointed out that knowledge and wisdom are two very, very different things from the first book of 1 Corinthians. Knowledge is the truth that I acquire, but wisdom is what I do with the truth once I acquire it. See, just because I know the stuff doesn't mean I'm going to do anything with it. Wisdom is when I begin to do the right things with the right knowledge. In John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the question is, help me out, based upon this word here, what is it that sets us free? The truth. And what is the truth? The word of Jesus Christ. The word of God, right? It's in the word of God that we find the truth that sets us free. It's in living by the truth of the word of God that we find our greatest sense of freedom. Freedom from sin. Again, I can know the truth, but I must live the truth. It's in living the truth that I will then find the greatest sense of freedom to myself. You want to know why so many people don't feel free? It's because they're not living in the truth. They're living on the, in their feelings and saying, I need this, I need that. And they look at what other people perceivably have and think that's what freedom is. It's freedom of having things. And listen, I'm all for equity and equality. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ needs to be agents for equality. But we need to be equal before God. Understand that we don't have to fight for equality before God because God is no respecter of persons. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in him. Equality is already set in the kingdom of God. It's not a struggle in the kingdom of God. Basically, what he's saying is let go of everything you think about freedom. What he's telling these people at this moment, at this cultural point in their lives was I want you to let go of where you think freedom comes from because these people that he was talking to had been waiting under Roman oppression, had gone through Egyptian slavery, had gone through Babylonian captivity. The Jewish people had gone through captivity and then freedom from God, captivity and freedom from God. And at every time that the Jewish people were set free, it happened by a military exercise of God's hand. This time it wasn't going to happen that way. Jesus said the truth will make you free. It won't be by my mighty hand and my outstretched arm. It's going to be by my truth and my word. And that's the gospel. You will be set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ and living in the truth of his word is what will set you free. And you can be free in the freest country in the world or you can be free in me in the most oppressed country in the world. It doesn't matter what flag flies over your head because the banner of grace is over your head. Amen. That's freedom. So the Pharisees pipe up and they argue with him in verse number 33. I know you're shocked. The Pharisees had a problem with what Jesus said. And they say as Jewish people, God's favored people, by the way, that they were not slaves of anyone. They basically say, why do I need to be made free? I'm a son of Abraham. I serve no one. I'm God's child. So the Pharisees do that. And then Jesus rocks their world in verse number 34. He said, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. 
So the Jewish people of the day prided themselves throughout their history that even though they had been enslaved, they were still made free by God. God always had their back. Always. He was like their mascot because they had won the geopolitical war by being born as a Jew. They'd won the racial war as well by being born as a Jew. And so therefore they had special privilege. And Jesus said, no, if you've committed sin, you're a slave. Doesn't matter what your lineage is. We all from Adam inherited the sin nature. Basically what he's saying is, let go of everything you think you know about freedom. See, the Pharisees who pride yourself on being super religious and know how to do all the right things, it hadn't got you any closer to the righteousness of God. You Romans who've conquered the world with all your armies and with your empire, it doesn't make a drop in the bucket to the power and the hold that sin has on your life. You think you've got the world by the tail and you've got it all figured out, but you're a slave dead in your trespasses and sins and you don't even know it, is what Jesus is saying. All in this one little line, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. What that says to us, church of Jesus Christ in 2021, living in the United States of America on Independence Day, celebrating 245 years of, append- of independence. You may think you're free, but if you're, a, a, if you're a sinner, you're a slave to sin. You're still in bondage. And it doesn't matter how much freedom you try to pursue outside of Christ, you'll never know real freedom. Since we're all used to uttering the word freedom in our culture, we have to understand how radical it was for Jesus to even utter the words free. Because in his context, just as in ours, freedom was primarily a political word. People wanted to be free from Roman oppression at that point. The Jewish people did not enjoy freedoms of speech as those oppressed by the Roman occupation. They didn't enjoy the freedoms of speech like we had. And they also lived in a society where slavery more like indentured servitude, not like the chattel slavery that we know of our history. They understood slavery. The idea of being set free shook them up a little bit. So the Pharisees, the Jewish religious elite, pipe up and they argue with them and says, we don't need to be free. And Jesus is like, you don't even realize you're a slave. And instead of responding, and if you look at verse number 30, look at verse number 51. After pointing out that freedom is only found through salvation in Jesus Christ, he drops an invitation to grace once again to everyone there. And he says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. An invitation to grace, an invitation to real freedom. And instead of responding to the invitation of freedom, the Pharisees double down on their counterfeit freedom. And they go on and they argue with Jesus about Abraham and over Jewish heritage for the next several verses, even accusing Jesus of being a Samaritan. Not even, not even biologically possible, but what they're really saying about when they say he's a Samaritan is you're an apostate. You're not a true follower of God and not one of them. And then they even say he's possessed by a demon. And ultimately in verse number 59, they end up wanting to stone him, but he is able to leave because it's not God's appointed time for him to sacrifice yet. So the drama we have is Jesus is the ultimate freedom fighter. And those who didn't want to hear the question, those who didn't want to hear this idea of freedom decided it's time for me to oppress it. Enough so that I want to kill him. And their bloodthirst continued until he eventually walked up Calvary's hill and they did everything they could in their power to make sure it happened. 
See, what causes people to turn their back on freedom in Christ when it's offered? What causes people to hate that idea of freedom so much that they'd want to kill the freedom giver? It's because they did what the Bible said. They sold the truth for a lie. They come to love the counterfeit freedom that they created on their own more than the real thing. They had all the knowledge in the world to set them free, but not an ounce of wisdom to walk through the door to freedom. They possessed great amount of knowledge, but didn't possess the truth that would actually set them free because truth is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have freedom until you know the truth. Do you know the truth? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Now, before we get too high and mighty and looking down on the Pharisees like we love to do, we have to understand we all got a little Pharisee in us. Every last one of us have a little Pharisee living in us. I like to think of, you know, Derek the follower and Derek the Pharisee over here. I don't think of the devil and the angel on my shoulders. This is what I think about a lot of times. As I said at the beginning of the message, and we're going to close out in just a second, Ryan. We define freedom as a state where I am not impeded to pursue what I want and I'm not impeded to pursue whatever makes me feel good and freedom is defined by everybody else pursuing what I want and pursuing whatever else makes me feel good too. But what if the truth that sets us free is, says it's not what freedom is really all about at all? What if the freedom that God has given us isn't about me doing and getting everything that I want? Because that's what freedom is. Freedom in Christ is not about me getting what I want. It's about him having us that he wants. He wants us. He wants us so much that he sent his son to purchase us. What if true freedom is not found in, not having, not found in the absence of having anyone to serve or to answer to, but rather in finding the right one to serve? So we think of freedom as throwing off all my chains and all my inhibitions, but it's not about that. It's finding the right one to serve. Because when we serve the right one, he sets us free. He comes to us and says, you see these chains? I already broke them. And I'm going to let you follow me voluntarily. And here's the thing. You can, wave, you can waver from me. You can stray from me. But I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to continue to find you because it's what's good for you. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slave, you are slaves of the one that you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience that leads to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching which you were handed over, the word of God, the truth. And having been set free from sin, from the truth that sets you free, you now have become enslaved to righteousness. Whoa, hold on for a second. Catch that. What's that last word say? Or that last little line? When we get saved, we've now become enslaved. Hold on for a second. Remember, in America, we love our freedom, right? But freedom is found in being enslaved to righteousness. There are so many oppressive masters out there, but the only one who offers us real freedom is Jesus Christ. And as we serve him, it gets sweeter every day, and we find that freedom and that confidence in him. So where is freedom found? It's found in the person of Christ. It's found in the proclamation of the word. And it's found in the possession of the truth. And what you're going to find, it's a freedom that doesn't make sense on paper. It's a freedom that makes most people that don't know it cock their head and say, that's crazy. 
It's a freedom that looks totally different from anything else that we can think of or what we've been trained to look for. But it is real. It is more real than anything that we have been trained to acknowledge in our flesh and in our world. We may not gorge on hamburgers or hot dogs or set off fireworks to celebrate this freedom. But one day there's going to be a giant feast in heaven and we're going to bask forever in the light of glory, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And that is freedom. So as we close out this morning, I want to point out one other thing from this, from this chapter. One thing I noticed about this chapter is it begins and it ends with people with stones in their hands. We talked about in verse number 59 where the Pharisees got mad at Jesus because he was challenging their counterfeit freedom and they wanted to stone him. But at the beginning of the chapter, if you look all the way back to verse number one, you see another group of Pharisees, probably, I think, probably the same ones because it's in the same city and the same town. And they've got stones in their hands too, but they've also got a woman there. And they throw her in the middle of this circle where Jesus is and they throw her right at Jesus and said, this woman was caught cheating on her husband, caught in the very act of doing it. Now you know, Jesus, that the law says that anyone who commits adultery should be stoned. My question is, if she's caught in the act of adultery, where's the guy that she was doing this with? That's a whole other sermon. But they look at Jesus and they say, what do you say? And Jesus says, nothing. He just stoops down in the ground and he begins to scribble in the sand. And the Bible doesn't tell us what he says while he's down there, what he writes while he's down there. But after writing for a little while and everybody's looking at him like, what? Well, what do you say, Jesus? And he looks up at every single one of those Pharisees and he says, let whoever here, let whoever is here without sin among you, go ahead and throw the stone first. I like to think that written in that sand was not just a bunch of scribblings, but it was the sins of each one of those men who had the rocks in their hands. Because what happened is, Rocks began to fall. They didn't begin to fly. One by one, from the oldest to the youngest, the rocks fell out of their hands, and they turned and they walked away. And as everybody is gone, the Bible says in verse number 18, it says, when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Basically, has no one left to condemn you anymore? And she says, no one, Lord. And he looks at her, the one who doesn't have sin, by the way. Remember what he said? Let those who are without sin cast the first stone. The one without sin says, then neither do I condemn you. And then, she said, and then he says this, and this is the freedom. The same freedom prescribed to those later on in the same chapter. Go and sin no more. Same concept, different font of you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. She was set free that day. What's interesting to me is that the majority of the people that came to that area that day, that circle that day, had the same conviction of sin fall upon them. Every one of them had the same conviction of sin before Jesus Christ and all of them walked away from it, walked away from that same invitation except for that woman. And the question for you today is, will you be the accuser or will you be the recipient of grace? So as we bow our heads and as we close our eyes this morning, I want to ask a question. And I know I was 
probably stronger than I normally am and more forceful than I normally am. But like I said, I've spent a, I spent a better part of a month in study. So there you go. But I don't want to delineate the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place today. As I prepared this message, I was deeply, personally convicted because I get wrapped up in a lot of junk. I'm telling you right now, just being fully transparent, I'm like an inch away from just taking myself off of all social media for a while because it's affecting me. When I see people and brothers and sisters constantly bickering and complaining about things that when we get to heaven, we we'll all have already expired. And I get wrapped up in it too. I need to be reminded that the truth is what sets me free. That Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ is who sets me free. That what his word proclaims is what sets me free. And that living in his word, getting in his word, obeying his word, is what, is how I'll truly understand freedom. For you this morning, if you're here today, you don't know Christ or you're watching today, you don't know Christ as your savior, freedom will only be found in Jesus Christ. Put your faith and your trust in him. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you bring to the table except a sinful and contrite and broken heart saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me. I trust you. Just like that woman, the only one left that really did have the right to condemn her, offered her grace. Jesus will do that to us. Or we can live our life with stones in our hands, looking to just be hacked off at everybody, fearful and mad and more discipled by the current events of the day than we are by the timeless word of truth. The choice is ours. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.